and take a seat. Amen. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. And I want to say welcome to those on Facebook. Uh, we, we did one service today because of the weather, and so hopefully many of you are there on Facebook watching. We're glad you're with us. You're, you're part of what we're doing this morning, and we pray that God will be at your home. So let us know you're there. Give us a little comment on there. I'm not really sure how the Facebook Live works, but um, I'll check it out later, and we'll know. So, um, But for the rest of us, thank you for being here. We are going to be in Ephesians. So we have two more weeks. We're going to finish out Ephesians, so you don't want to miss that. It's a big deal. And then we're going to move into uh, our Christmas series that finishes Christmas Eve. Um, and this week, or this, this year, we're going to be looking at the joys of Christmas. Uh, and the reason we're doing that is kind of the idea of, of, you know, the holidays a lot of times are the greatest times of depression and sadness, uh, either that or busyness and spending too much money and focused on the wrong things. And so this year, we want to look at the joys of Christmas, looking at scripture, and hopefully it will help people maybe struggling um, either with, with sadness or, or loss this, this Christmas or with wrong motives to, to really find the joy in Christ this Christmas. And we're going to finish Christmas Eve, and I'm going to give Christmas Eve away. That day is the joy of salvation. So Christmas Eve is a day a lot of people might come to church that don't normally if they come that day because you invite them, they will hear the good news of Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time, hopefully in a way that maybe they haven't heard it before, clear from God's word. Uh, so you have an invite card, use it. Um, those on Facebook, hey, invite somebody right now, go for it. Um, but we are going to be in Ephesians. I see people looking up the cameras right there. <laughs> that, that's what I'm looking at. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, but I need help first. And I asked Sawyer to help me. Sawyer, will you please come help me? Now, does anybody know what this is? Come up here and around. That's right. Do you know what this is, Sawyer? No. No, it's the coolest thing in the world. This is called an apple peeler core slicer. Okay, this is an infomercial. Uh, free plug for this. Maybe one of the best things you could ever own. So what you can do is you can take this apple, and you can use this to both peel it core it and slice it all at the same time and then you can you, you can eat those or you can put them in a pie which is really good so i want you to go ahead and use the apple peeler core slicer do you need some help okay let's see i'll, sh I'll show you that we stick this right on there that's how we start it okay now be careful because that's sharp and that's sharp. Do you need more help? Yeah, okay. So we're going to bring this up to the middle and tighten that down. There we go. That's the core and the slicer. Go. Hmm. Getting closer. Let me help you. Now we flip this piece. That's the peeler. And there's one last step. You want to lick the bottom of that? <laughs> no, nah, you shouldn't. I will. There. That's the, sh the suction. Look, now it's stuck. Now, turn this that way. Nope, other way. I was wrong. Keep going. Whoa. It's going to get hard, but just use your muscles. 
Oh, no, hold on. Go back. This part went off. You really need that part, because who wants the core? OK, go. Oh, other way. Yeah. Mm, can you smell that? Mmm. Do you like apple pie? Yeah. This is a great way to make apple pie. And if you like French fries, the thing that, you know, I, I think, so that part's done. So we can flip that down. There we go. But this, this part keeps coming loose. What's up with that? Do you know? No? Okay, go. See this way? There we go. All right, see if it stays this time. There we go. Now, if you like French fries, this is a great way to do your potatoes and deep fry it. I expect to get something from the Apple Peeler Core Slicer Company. There you go. Now, take that off. And here's some extra peel. And you have. A peeled, cored, and sliced apple. Here you go. You can take it. You can go share it with the kids next to you. You might want to go that way. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> now I'm going to get this out of our way. Now, I use that as, as our starting picture, because maybe you've never used an apple peeler core slicer. But I remember the first time we had one, it's like, what are all these moving parts? How do you do it? And you know, you got to do it just right so that you core it and peel it and, and don't mess up. And so it takes a little bit of knowing how to do that. Now, in a similar way that there's a right way to use an apple peeler core slicer, there's a right way to do life. Kind of like that little contraption is designed uh, perfectly to do what it's designed to do. God designed all of creation. Not just the natural laws, which he did, you know, gravity and, and things like that. And if you want to live a healthy life, you'll probably want to obey the law of gravity or recognize that it applies to you. In a similar way, God designed relationships and life in general. And if we want to be successful in life, if we want to enjoy life the best way, then we do life God's way. Kind of like the apple peeler core slicer. If you do it the wrong way, it's not going to work out as well. And this world has so many ways it's going to tell us to do life, including marriage, including parenting, kids, including being a kid, workers, being an employee, employers, all these things. There is a right way, actually, for us to do these things. And in Ephesians, Paul is going to give us some of that instruction. He's going to tell us God's plan to thrive in these different areas of life. Now, this is going to be somewhat of an interesting day because Paul's going to, he's going to speak to kids. He's going to speak to fathers. He's going to speak to employees and to employers. He's going to hit a lot of things. And so we want to make sure we have the context of what he's talking about. Turn to Ephesians, if you would, please. But before we even get into it, I'm going to kind of give you this big idea, and this is in your notes if you're a note taker. The spirit-filled Jesus follower will diligently pursue God's plan for family and vocation and generally experience success. Now, why do we see, say generally? You know, if you do it God's way, generally you will experience success, but there are exceptions. There's kind of the way God designed it, but there are 
exceptions to the rule. You could be the best parent in the world, and, and you know what? There's no guarantee, but if you do it God's way, there's a better chance they're going to go the right direction. Same with, with marriage. Same with kids. Kids, you, you be a, a kid uh, with your parents the way God plans. It's generally going to go better for you. And we're going to be starting real quick. We're going to look back to set the context of these instructions because it's not just a list of rules. We want to be careful. It's not just a list of religious rules that, that good Christians or good spiritual people do these things. There's actually a deeper reason. And we start all the way back in Ephesians 5, verse 15. This sets the context. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Paul taught on that two weeks ago. He did awesome. I touched on it again last week a little bit. But that kind of sets the context. Walk wisely. You know, do you want to be one of those people that walks through life kind of knuckle-headed and doing it wrong and messing up all the way through, and then you, you get to be 30 years old or 40 or 50, or we could go and go, man, I wish I could start over. There's actually a wise way to walk. And this world, it, the evil days is kind of like every day. We live in this world that is organized against God. And there's an enemy, we're going to talk about that next week, organized against us and against God's way. But there is a right way to do it, the wise walk. A.W. Tozer defined wisdom this way. It says, wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. I think that's a really good definition. And again, we go back. God designed it. God has a plan. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He wants us to flourish. He doesn't want us to be, you know, boring, stodgy, grumpy, religious people that don't have any fun in life and just follow a bunch of rules. He wants us to, to thrive, and his way is best. And so God, in his wisdom, has defined those, those end means and the ways to get there. And in the book of Proverbs, we see that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So the right way to live, the best way, we start with a fear of the Lord, a respect for God, understanding that his way is best, and we commit to go his way. Now he moves on. Look back at Ephesians 5. We're going to skip to verse 18, where he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we walk in wisdom, being filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. This isn't what happens at salvation, where you receive the indwelling. Filled with the Spirit is the same as walking in the Spirit or the same as abiding in Jesus Christ. It's walking in submission to Him. Day by day, constant submission at home, at work, at school, at church, driving down the road, behind Californians, whatever it is, we are submitted to God at all times. At all times, that's living in the Spirit. That's being filled with the Spirit. And so you see the context here. Paul is writing not to everybody. He is writing to Christians, people surrendered to Jesus, who want to walk wisely, who want to be filled with the Spirit and do it God's way. That's who he's speaking to. And then he gives us an instruction in verse 21 that sets the stage for the rest and applies today, saying, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, all this context, walk in wisdom, filled with the Spirit, how we do that, First is submitting to one another. And that really is a general statement of, of all believers to all believers. And that submitting to one another is a spirit of deference. A spirit uh, you see in Philippians 2 where we're, we're given Jesus as the example. Be like Jesus. 
Consider others as more important than yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And so we place others above ourselves. We do that in the home. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to kids, kids to parents, employers, Christian employers. To, all I mean, it's how we live. Others, we consider others as more important. Now, we're going to look at roles. Now, considering others more important doesn't make them more important. In front of God's eyes, we're all equal. But we consider others as more important. The Jesus follower, controlled by the Spirit, will consider others as more important than themselves, regardless of roles or positions. So there's the context. Now, that mutual submission, that idea, doesn't negate authority. It doesn't negate leadership. And so Paul is going to then go on and describe certain roles. Last week we looked at husbands and wives in marriage. Now we're going to look at children with parents. We're going to look at fathers, employers, and employees in these roles, which, I mean, I, I could show of hands if you're in one of those roles. We would probably all raise our hand. We're all children of somebody. Most of us have jobs or things where we submit to others. So this applies to all of us. How do we carry this out? So we're going to begin in Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul begins with this direction to children. Anybody here living at home still? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. How many children? Not everybody's raising their hand. Raise your hand if you are living at home still. There you go. Okay, children. Children. This in, yeah, Gunner, you're still living at home. <laughs> this instruction, you can put your hands down. You guys are so into it. I like that. So pay attention. Children, thank you, Piper. Obey your parents. This is one of the greatest commandments for you children. Obey your parents. Again, who is this command given to? It's given to Jesus' followers, not just anybody. Now, any child should obey their parents. It will go better for them. This is written to children who know the Lord. If you have said, I believe that Jesus died for me, rose from the dead, and I want him to be Lord of my life, this is speaking to you. Because now the spirit in you is going to give you this desire to go his way. A desire to be filled with his wisdom, filled with the spirit, and it will go better for you. So he's speaking to children. And, and I'm going to ask you children real quick, what did I just read? What's the command to children? Any, any children? Shout it out. What's the command? Obey. obey. Awesome. Obey. That word obey, it's actually a, a compound word. In Greek, it's, it's hard to pronounce. Hupaku, something like that. But it's a combination of two words. One meaning under and the other one to hear. So obedience means to hear under. It includes listening. So, so children, do you listen to your parents, when they give you instruction, or are you on your phone, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Part of this is you give your parents your attention. Now, I know, listen, I'm in this, this world, too, and there's some distractions, and sometimes, you know, it's like, you say the child's name, hey, hey, I'm, I'm talking to you, you know, a tap, and, and maybe you're distracted, but once you know they're talking to you, you listen. That's part of obedience, is listening with the intent to understand what they're saying, and then to do it. That's what this word means, to obey. Children are called to obey. 
And we're going to see a promise coming up that it will go better for you. So this is in your notes. Life will typically go well for the child who is eager to hear and obey their parents. Life will typically go well for the child who is eager to hear and obey their parents. Now, quick question. Who is a child? You know, you may be in here and be like, I'm 15 years old. I'm not a child. This doesn't apply to me. I'm 18. I'm an adult. Parents, have you heard that one before? I'm 18. You can't tell me what to do. This word child actually specifically means somebody dependent on, on their parents. This is the word often used for us as children of God. So when it refers to us as children of God, this is the word used, meaning we are constantly dependent on God our Father. We're never independent of him as Jesus' followers, as his children. There are other words that could be used to refer to just a kid. This one is a word referring to a child dependent. So regardless of age, if you are dependent on your parents, this applies to you. So you may be thinking, when am I independent? Right? Maybe somewhere, at what age am I independent? It doesn't really matter age. If you are financially dependent on your parents, this applies to you. You're still called to obey. You could be 28 years old, living at home dependent on your parents. This applies to you. Children, obey your parents. But then there's another command in there. Honor. Obey and honor. They're different things. Honor. It means to value something as precious. Children, those dependent, listen to this. Do you consider your parents precious, valuable? You know, if you found like a gold bar in the, you know, you're like, wow, that's awesome. That's, I mean, your parents are valuable like that. Listen, God has given you children, parents, kind of as an umbrella, a protection for you. Parents' role, and we're going to see that, is to protect, to be there, to provide. You should view your parents as valuable to you because they're God's gift to you. Do they do it right all the time? Don't shake your heads. But they don't. <laughs> we're still human as parents. But they're a gift to you, and so you are to honor them, meaning they have weight, they have value. So you can obey without honoring. Honoring speaks also to the spirit with which you obey. Maybe, maybe you've done this. You know, hey, go feed the dogs. Well, I always feed the dogs. It's not, you know, and you can walk off obeying with a spirit that's just not submitting, not honoring, right? So this is speaking to the spirit with which, I mean, just picture this. Parents, real quick, a kid going, what do you have to say? And listening. Let me, let me make sure I understood that and repeating it back and then running off to do it with this, I'm so happy to do whatever it is. Children, that's what he's, I know, parents are like, <laughs> that is a spirit-filled child. And you see the promise. It will go well with you. Look at these verses. Verse three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This was a promise initially given to Israel going into the promised land. And it was children, obey your parents, you'll live long in the promised land. Well, this is now not to Jews because now all of God's people are, are God's people, Jews and Gentiles, those who believe in Jesus as Lord. So this is to us as well. He reiterates this. This is a big command. Your life will go better if you do this. Trust me. God's plan, like how to use an apple peeler core slicer right, is life will go better for you. You'll actually live longer in general. It'll go better. The Jesus follower of any age Walking with God will give honor to their parents by respectfully listening to and, if needed, 
providing for them. So look at that one as we talk about honor. This now goes beyond age. If you have a parent, you are called to honor them. So children at home, that honors the respect you give. Children outside of home, independent now, even 40, 50 years old, your parents are still a gift. They're still a value, and you are to honor them, give them weight. When they call and they, they give advice, whatever, you don't have to always do what they say, You're, you don't have to, but you listen. They have weight, and if needed at some point, you take care of them. You provide for them. Jesus confronted the Pharisees on this at one point. He said, you honor your God with your, God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. You, you, know, you do all these things. Your parents, you have this money, but you're not giving in to them because you say you're giving it to God, but you're not even really doing that. So one of the things Jesus got on the Pharisees for was not taking care of their elderly parents. Part of the way we honor is if they need it, we take care of them. And again, this will generally go well. Proverbs 13.1 says, Wise children pay attention when their parents correct them, but arrogant people never admit they're wrong. Let me read that again, kids. Proverbs 13.1, Wise children pay attention when their parents correct them, but arrogant people never admit they're wrong. Now, we move on. Fathers, verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, we see a, a principle of God's design. The principle, go best for kids, obey your parents, honor them. Fathers, you want things to go best with your kids? Do not exasperate your children. Some of them say that way. Do not provoke them to anger. This word very literally means uh, to anger by nearness. That's kind of weird. But fathers, I think you get that, right? We, we know our kids. You know, what are the things that we do that unnecessarily anger them? Now, we are to discipline and instruct them. But are there times where we are too harsh? And that's kind of the idea in the context here is fathers who are too harsh with their children. You know, back... I don't know, probably a decade ago, uh, I was a youth pastor, and I remember seeing some kids whose father was just, he was on, they were always grounded for, for the tiniest little things. They were always grounded, and they were just exasperated. We can't do anything right. There's, and so at least one of them just gave up. Well, but there's nothing I can do. That's kind of the picture. Are we overly harsh with our discipline? Do you provoke them to anger? How about this, saying things like, why can't you be more like your brother? You know? Why are you so stupid? Parents say things like that. Maybe you've stumbled across that yourself, but we're not to anger them, but we are to build them up, to encourage them. Now, who is this instruction to? Verse 4, it's fathers. This isn't to parents. This word is very specifically fathers. Fathers are typically the ones who are going to damage their kids by, by doing these types of things, aren't they? We can be a little harsher, a little bit stricter, but also we are given the responsibility as fathers to raise them and to discipline them. You know, it's totally appropriate for mom to go, you know what, wait till your dad gets home. He'll deal with this. But now mothers, we're not off the hook. And single moms, you know, this is one of those roles that you move into. And God will give you the ability to do it. But the instruction, the responsibility is given to fathers. The spirit-filled father will patiently discipline and teach his children to walk with Jesus without angering them unnecessarily. 
you see a couple instructions to fathers. Do not provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. So we are called to discipline. That is, set rules, set standards, and then enforce them. It's okay to take away their phone, to send them to their room, whatever it is to, to discipline them, not overly harshly just to anger them, but guess what? When you discipline them, they might get angry. And you know what? That's, that's okay. That's part of our role. I, I remember years ago speaking to a father whose child was going kind of crazy on the soccer field, and we had a conversation. He said, you know, I've just kind of gone to, we're just going to let natural consequences happen. I'm like, so you're lazy. That's, that's not, you know, we're called to actually dis, to give instruction, to, dis, to lead them that way. Natural consequences, there will be a time for that. But when they're kids, they need to be directed. They need that help. So we discipline, but also instruct. Instruct, that word means to place in the mind, to teach fathers. Mothers who fill this role, do you realize it's your responsibility to teach your children God's way? That's the way God designed it from the beginning. Look back at uh, the nation of Israel when they came out of Egypt. It was parents giving the instruction, raise up your children. Remind them of what I've done. Point back to what I've done. Tell the stories of what I've done. Parents, we are called to teach our kids. And if we don't, we're competing with this culture. Uh, The picture that I got here for us was the scales. You know, we've got these scales here, and the world is telling they're going to school, especially public school. The world is telling them evolution is true, there is no God, um, sex means nothing, gender means nothing. I mean, all these things, school's saying it, movies are saying and it's getting heavy on this, and we're on the other side. Are we countering that? Our job as parents is to train, to point to the truth, and we have a benefit in that it's true. The Bible's true. There is a God. Jesus Christ really did come and die. We have truth on our side. But we're called to diligently teach and instruct. Being here is part of that. Good job, parents. Having your kids over there is great. They're over there for a reason, to grow closer to Christ. But also, this month, we want to help you read through Luke as a family. Help train your kids. Instruct your kids. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, this is a biblical principle. This is one of those things that, in general, this is going to go better. Guess what? Your children still have free will. They're going to make their choices. We do the best we can, and in general, it's going to go well if we do it God's way. But again, not always. You know, you may know some of those exceptions where a a parent couple did it great, raised their kid in the Lord, um, and, and the child walked away. That happens. Kids, you may obey perfectly, and dad is still harsh. But your obedience isn't dependent on him or mom. It's between you and God. And fathers, it's also between us and God. Mothers, between us and God. Remember the context. This is a believer wanting to walk in wisdom, filled with the Spirit. This is the way we'll do it. Now, he's going to move to the workplace. Verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same thing to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. 
Now, some of your translations may say slaves rather than bondservants. Now, just a, a quick note, if you're reading this for the first time, you're thinking, slavery? You know, he's writing to slaves. In our mind in the United States, we think of our history of slavery, which was horrible and oppressive. And there, in the, the Roman times, many were slaves, and it was still at times oppressive and definitely wrong, but it was the way their society worked. There was no idea at that time of abolishing it, so the, the, the biblical writers didn't talk about abolishing slavery. But instead, they gave instructions. You know, in that time, slaves could be leaders. Some, some were in higher roles in society. If you were a slave in a wealthy household, you had a much better life that, than a free person that was poor. And so slavery was a little bit different. And the instructions, and most writers would agree, the instructions here directly parallel our life right now in the workplace, employees and employers. So don't look at slavery. That doesn't apply to, to me. It does. It, it applies directly. If you are under authority anywhere, this applies to you. If you have authority anywhere, he's speaking to you in this as well. And so what's his instruction? Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That's the instruction. This obey, that is the same word used for children. Obey, to hear under, meaning you listen to your employer, your boss, your foreman, your sergeant, I mean, what, whoever it is over you, you listen to obey, a lot like the children command there. Uh, not just by way of eye service he talks about, but you, also, you listen, you want to understand their intentions, and then you go to fulfill it. And he gives us three descriptive words, respect, fear, and sincerity. Respect really speaks to the attitude. Kind of like the idea of the kid with honoring their parents, it's the same way. Employee, Christians, we are to be the best employees. Respect. Meaning, when the boss is there, when he's not. Maybe you're in one of those environments where you don't have a great boss. And when the boss leaves the room, the rest of the coworkers start talking bad about the boss. Guess what? The spirit-filled Christian does not get involved with that. We don't do They may be right. The boss may be horrible. But we, we do it with respect, meaning we lift them up. Honor. Now, here's, this came to mind as I was putting it in the notes. If you can't respect regardless, you have a problem with God. Because all of these commands are based on our relationship with God and then him living through us. So if you can't respect this person, the problem isn't that person because a lot of times they're not going to be respectable. The problem is you and God if you're not respectful to the authorities over you. Fear is the other one. In context, this means reverence. Again, a lot like children with parents, this person has weight. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad, but they have weight. When they speak, you listen. You carry it out. You don't roll your eyes when you turn around. Kids, that's a good one for you guys too. You listen. You obey. You do what they ask. And then with sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. This is that principle kind of overlapping all of our life. Whatever you do, do it as if for the Lord. A student, as to the Lord. A wife, as to the Lord. A husband, as to the Lord. He is our authority. And so we do it as unto him. And so here, employees, as you work, do it as if Jesus is your boss. And you do it with sincerity of heart. Verses 6 through 8 explain that. Verse 6, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, 
rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Meaning, verse 6, not by way of eye service. You don't just do it when the boss is looking. How many times have you seen this or done this? When the boss leaves, you slack off. The boss or other employees slack off. No, we work even harder when the boss isn't there. If you have one of those jobs where you're doing stuff and the boss leaves and you finish your job, find something else to do. That's what a godly person does. They're, they're ambitious to make their boss successful, not by way of eye service only. Again, it's a heart issue. The spirit-filled worker will obey with a great attitude, knowing that their real authority will reward them. We see that here, verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Meaning God is watching. Your boss may be horrible. Your parents may not be doing it right. God is watching, and he's not ignorant. He loves you. He sees what's happening. And as we carry on with respect, we will get rewards. Those could be here and now. Those could be vocationally. Those could be financially. They're definitely spiritually and definitely eternal rewards for doing it God's way. So again, employees, are we respectful to those in authority over us? Now he moves to bosses, employers, sergeants. If you are in any role of authority, he gives us this command. Verse 9, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours is in heaven, that there is no partiality with him. You know, a lot of times employers, business owners, whatever, can maybe get, get the idea that they're more important. They've worked hard to achieve this, and so they'll use those under them to, uh, you know, fulfill their ambitions. That's not what we're to do. Again, go back, submit to one another. Employers, those with authority, have the attitude. If you're spirit-filled, the attitude is that, that those under you are more important than you. Meaning you leverage yourself. That's godly leadership. You leverage yourself for their success. And he says, stop threatening. Watch your words. You know, those in authority, don't use your words to manipulate, to hurt, you know, to, to berate. We are to speak life. Just like Christian employees are to be the best, Christian employers are to be the best. People should want to work for you. The Jesus follower who holds a position of authority will leverage themselves for the good of others and speak life into them rather than tearing them down. Again, this idea of mutual submission doesn't take away these roles of leadership and authority. But a lot of times we look at leadership as a, a privilege, a privilege to get. Biblical leadership is a responsibility to serve. And it's a God-given responsibility. It is a great honor. But we are to lead well. Consider others more important than ourselves. Again, God loves us, and this is his plan for us to flourish. You know, we see all these little pieces of life, you know, and, and you probably, a couple of these apply to you. Maybe two, maybe three, maybe all of these apply to you in some way. But again, it's not just a list of religious do's and don'ts. We need to go back to the context. Do you want to live a life that glorifies God? Do you want to walk in wisdom, or are you just going to do it your own way? You know, kind of like this apple peeler course, like, if you're just going to do it your own way, it's not going to work very well. You might make applesauce. But life, do it God's way. You know, one of the themes you see through here is respect. Respect, honor, fulfilling your role. Again, a lot of times, Christians, we can be just disgruntled and grumpy. and That's not who we are to be. 
We're to be thankful before God. We've been given everything. I mean, that's what this Christmas season is, is really about, the gift of Jesus, that God sent his son to give us life. What more do we need? You know, why, why do we need to defend ourselves and demand our rights? We get salvation free of charge. We get the presence of God in our life. We are gifted. And so in this spirit of thankfulness to God, we then carry out our role. Kids, obey your parents, respect them. Employees, obey, respect those over you. Employers, same thing with those under you. Respect, build in. This is God's plan for us. Now we're going to continue to worship, but if there's one of these areas that God has really spoken to you, the point isn't to wallow in guilt or to fight with God's word. You may hear it and go, yeah, you don't know my boss. Yeah, you don't know my mom, my dad. Well, it's not about that. It's between you and God. But if God has spoken to you in one of these areas, feel free to just pray. You don't have to sing. Stay seated and pray. Give it to God. Ask him to work on your heart because this is a heart issue. And you don't need to just go out and do it. You do need to go out and do it. But you need your heart to be changed. Respect, honor, that's a heart issue. Maybe you need to come here to the prayer wall, write it down and put it up there. Maybe you need to write down that person you're having a problem with. Write it down. Write, their, write it in code so nobody else knows. What, but between you and God. But an active step of I'm giving this to you, God, and I'm going to live your way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your instruction. Um, but I, I thank you that your instruction isn't just religious do's and don'ts but it's a response to, of a changed heart. God, if our heart really is changed, we want to do it your way, but God, we struggle. We still live in these bodies. We're still fleshly at times. We still have other desires. We can be selfish. Uh, we can be worried about our rights and what others think of us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill everyone in this room. Fill us with your spirit that we could then live your way. God, I pray for children in here that are struggling with obedience that you would change their heart to look at their parents as a gift from you, to look at their parents as valuable and that they would honor them and respect them. God, for any employees here who, who maybe they've been slandering, they've been talking their boss down, I pray that you would convict that heart and lead them to, to rather do it your way. God, that if, if our employers find out we're believers, they're, well, where do you go to church? There's something special about you. Tell me about your God. There's something special about you that that would be us. God, that as employers, those who work for us would get to know us and go, there's something different about this person, and maybe they get to know Jesus through that. God, we love you. Lead us your way and be glorified as we worship. Amen.